episode 246. Even a dream house needs plumbing, and even visionary innovation needs a capable EHR infrastructure. Today, I speak with Pam Aurora, SVP and CIO at Children's Health in Dallas. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, Pam Aurora, SVP and CIO at Children's Health in Dallas, talks about the work she and her team are doing. Spoiler alert, it's pretty visionary. They have integrated telemedicine solutions in schools and in patients' homes. They've also been monitoring adherence to vital transplant meds by putting chips on the capsules. They have initiatives happening with voice and GPS technology. I asked Pam what it takes to get all of this done while at the same time balancing the usual suspects, the EHR upgrades, the security patches, the virtual desktops, the inevitable panic of the month. Pam explains her answer far more eloquently than I'm going to be able to recap here. But in a nutshell, she says it's all about getting the fundamentals right. A hospital, a health system needs a capable, robust EHR infrastructure that really works. She further adds that attaining that infrastructure takes a lot of things, but one of them is a relentless attention to the details, particularly the details around what exactly and specifically patients and their families want and need. I met Pam at the Node Health Conference earlier this year in New York City. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Pam Arara, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you, Stacey. You have achieved a remarkable list of accomplishments in the past few years over at Children's Health, you and your team, obviously. So I just kind of want to go through the ones that I was fascinated by. Kind of starting off, you're in 140 schools at this juncture. That is correct. We're in 140 schools with our telemedicine program. And what does that look like? Does it replace the school nurse? Uh, Not at all. It's more of a partnership with the school nurse. And we use telemedicine to reach out into that community. We have caregivers, providers, physicians that work within children's health. And on the other end, we have school nurses. But lately, the legislation has changed in Texas that even allows us to have a tech-savvy individual on the other end, which allows us to have further reach into the rural areas that have not been able to afford necessarily to have a school nurse. So we're very excited about that because while we've reached 140 schools, we want to conquer more areas because we truly want to be where children live, learn, and play. So from that standpoint, if we can be where children live, learn, and play, that's our our favorite place to be because, frankly, children prefer not to be in our hospital or clinic walls. If they need to be here, we're certainly here for them, but we prefer to be out in the community wherever possible for those wellness programs. So how does this function? You've got a telemedicine console or a way to be reached, let's just say, in the school. Kid comes in to the nurse or to the office, I guess, if it's the tech-savvy individual, and they complain of something. Okay, so let's say a child, we'll call it the child Tommy. Tommy comes in and has a stomach ache, and maybe there's a test that day as well. So he comes into the school nurse and says, I have a stomach ache. The nurse maybe 
looking at Tommy and not quite sure what's going on. So invokes a televisit with Children's Health. The exam happens and perhaps there's something serious going on. And in that instance, that can be identified, the parents notified, and whether a prescription needs to be called into the pharmacy and the child picked up and brought home, or if it's something very serious, they can be en route to Children's Health Hospital. We have a number of hospitals in the community here. The other alternative could be that the doctor talks with the nurse and everything's A-OK. In that instance, Instead of mom and dad being called to pick up Tommy, in that instance, Tommy might be sent back to the class and um, is back in time to finish up that test that needs to be taken. But I think the key is sometimes that school nurse or if there's that tech-savvy individual, they need that extra set of eyes, that oversight. And we like to be there for the community to help them with those types of situations. And it it truly is giving the children the best care. And it's also the most convenient for the patient family in that the parents, if they need to pick up their child, they do. And when they do, they can just go swing by the pharmacy if there's some prescriptions that need to be picked up and they're already called in for them. But if the child can go back to class, then that occurs and they're really not getting any interruption in their schooling. Doing it this way, it seems like it's the perfect use case for telemedicine that it's in a place where all these kids are already. They can simply walk down to the school nurse and they can have that visit kind of all in one package as opposed to making it this prolonged manual, if you will, process. As a parent, and my daughter's now in college, I would have loved to have that kind of solution in place when she was in school, in grade school. I will say that's high volume, and those are some of the more routine, less acute kind of situations. Uh, We also leverage telemedicine in more acute situations where we might be monitoring patients in the home setting where they have more acute conditions. There's all these different aspects where we can drive down the cost of health care, give the child the best possible experience, have the great convenience factor for the patient family so the parents can really have as much balance in their life as possible too. So let's talk about something which you have mentioned, which is embedding the chip into pills after a transplant. Obviously, taking the medication after a transplant is really important in order for the transplant to be successful and the child not to fall ill again. Do you want to talk about that? From the standpoint of adult care, you can actually purchase medication that already has chips on it. In the case of pediatrics, some of the technologies don't make it into the pediatric space as quickly. So Children's was one of the earlier adopters in this space. And what we needed to do as far as being able to make this possible is we take the medication and re-encapsulate it with the chip so that we can make sure that the child and the parent haven't just opened up the bottle, but that the medication itself has been consumed. I'll give you the example of if you've had a transplant and you were quite young, maybe from age 1 to 12, it was great as far as your medication adherence. But as you got into a teenage years and you're starting to manage your own medication adherence, you're in maybe a social setting and you just don't want to be popping a pill in front of all your friends, 
so you don't take your medication. In those situations, they may not be adhering to their medication. And in that situation, it's very dangerous. We're able to intervene and know whether they've taken the medication or not. The tricky part with transplant patients is that it's not just a short period of time. We're really talking a life journey. They have to continue to take these medications to maintain a healthy state. Is this kind of like next generation compounding in a way? (laughs) You could describe it that way. Part of the reason why that's an interesting use case is you take the school example and that's really gets into the volume of patients and more day-to-day examples. And I think every one of us, if you, you have a child or a niece or nephew or a next-door neighbor, every single one of us have seen a kiddo get the flu or a cold and those types of things, a stomach ache. In the case of some of these more acute patients, um, it's a smaller volume of children. But frankly, those are the ones that are actually in our hospital walls more frequently. And when you take a look at just different costs across healthcare, figuring out ways to be able to manage all of these areas well is going to help with an optimal experience for all, as well as being able to optimize cost for all. I want to mention, too, there's this aspect of being outside of our walls, but how do you get here when you need to get here? (laughs) Just navigating some of these very complex large institutions can be difficult or finding some of our clinics solutions that are making that more simplified too. And that builds off of our solid electronic medical record foundation as well. So you get into mobile apps and so many people are very accustomed to using GPS these days. And you might be talking door-to-door instructions, but I'm going to also add floor-to-floor instructions on that one. We actually are getting patient families navigated from their front door to children's facilities, including marking where they've parked so they can find their car. And that same app that can get you from door-to-door, floor-to-floor can also be used to get into the patient portal. And we're refining it so we, it can do a better job as far as online scheduling. I was speaking with a guest from Patient Wisdom. And one thing that he said was one of the most underappreciated social determinants of health for patients is time. Time is a limited commodity for everybody. So if you have a patient that has very limited time, they might not be going to the doctor for their follow-up visit or doing all the things that it sounds like the solutions that you've come up with are able to help with. If I'm not making an appointment because I can't find my, like I, I have to schedule an extra hour <laughs> in order to find, figure out where to go on the campus, then clearly that's not a good thing. I'm on a board with our Epic EMR vendor around social determinants of health, mainly population health as a whole, but I was on their subcommittee for social determinants of health. And that comment about time is so key relative to whether people can get in and get the care they need. I do think that people make extra efforts for their children, but I'm going to share a quote which many people have probably heard before. Mark Twain has made the comment, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one instead. We have to write the short letter. We in healthcare have to do a better job with the patient experience. We have to work together. This isn't something that IT can do alone. Technology can't do it alone. 
We have to partner with the stakeholders across the health system and with the vendor parties across the industry to simplify the patient experience so that they are empowered to do a better job with their health care. And it gets down to that key point is that one of the key aspects, the key social determinants of health is time. And if we don't do a very clean job of simplifying how they can engage us, then that time factor is going to make them go away. In some cases, it's not even just time. It could be complexity. They can't get over the complexity of it. What I love being here at Children's Health is senior leaders that are working to make the experience much more simplified. It's also um, working the seams across the community because many times people, what will determine their health is also how they engage other resources across the community. So we're trying to also make it easy to engage other resources, whether it's food banks, our religious partners in the community, YMCAs, et cetera. There was a study that, I don't know if you saw that Geisinger report that came back. Geisinger spent, I forget, it was like millions of dollars on treating the repercussions of food deserts. And instead of that, they spent like $80,000 on food and (laughs) cut that amount of costs. It's crazy how much doing things like you're talking about can ultimately impact the health of those we serve. And then you also are doing some neat stuff with Alexa, I heard. Yeah, we're doing pilot programs to see how patient families can use um, solutions like Alexa to make it easier when they're within our hospital walls. But also, we look at those types of solutions as something in the future being able to branch out in the home setting as well. I'd like to also mention from a pilot standpoint that when you take a look at those types of solutions, we're looking at every aspect of the patient family experience. So there's the ease of how they interact with us. I think the key is no detail is too small. And I love the name of your podcast, Relentless Health Value. The same sentiment applies to simplifying healthcare experience. Relentless attention to detail is required across healthcare and the supporting community, if you want to think of population health, to truly engage families in wellness. We have to be relentless about it, and it gets into that attention to detail. One could argue, well, do you really have to apply voice command capabilities like Alexa to be able to solve this? Can't, you know, just a nurse call button do? Well, if you get into that thought process of what could make it the easiest for patient family, you start to get into exploring different alternatives. And I think that the voice recognition while it's very helpful in a hospital setting, not only for patient families, but for staff. I think that the real game changer is when you think of people in their home setting, because if they are able to use it and understand it in the hospital setting, and then they go into the home setting, they may end up being able to, especially with some of these chronic conditions, be able to manage things more readily. I'm also going to mention that from a pediatric standpoint, we do have the pleasure of having, I'll call them digital natives, 
these kiddos really know how to use technology. I would say that some of the kids that are two and three years old can grab a phone and figure out how to use it better than some of their elders in their family. And from that standpoint, when we put these kind of capabilities in the room, certainly the entertainment value can be there. And for unfortunately for the kids that have to be in our walls for very extended periods of time, we'd like to be able to have some entertainment value for them. And as we're exploring these voice recognition capabilities, it'd be nice perhaps for some of the kiddos to have Alexa tell them a bedtime story. And that might be exactly what they do in their home setting as well. So we're piloting solutions of that nature. And basically, the notion is, is over time to also take these same kind of technologies and apply them in the home setting. Well, I think if the object of the game is to stay aligned with the target market, you are definitely on the right track. As I had a a very formative experience myself the other day when I was sitting with my very young niece and I was thinking I was going to give her a life lesson. And I said, we're going to have to text your mom and let her know that we're on our way. And I'm thinking that I'm going to teach her how to spell, you know. So I (laughs) I hand her my phone and she grabs my phone. She goes to the text. She hits the little microphone and she said, mom, we're on our way. Click send. And she hands my phone back to me. (laughs) It didn't go as planned. But I think, you know, the point is, is that, you know, the upcoming generation voices how they operate. Old school is going to be typing. (laughs) Exactly. It's like giving them your phone and saying, here, I want you to do this math problem. And then suddenly they're pulling up the calculator and they're doing calculus on it for you. (laughs) You're like, "Ah." (laughs) perhaps um, the, the master has become the student, right? Exactly. (laughs) Now, you alluded to a number of things that I'm going to recap here. So we talked about kind of the broad population health approach where you're in schools where the kids live, learn and play, Mm -hmm. giving very clean or very easy access to services broadly. Then we talked about kind of a more narrow approach with uh, telemedicine, i.e. inserting chips into pills so that you can make sure that if a kid is non-adherent after their transplant, that there is a flag that goes up real fast. We talked also about doing navigation and and things within the hospital walls. We talked about Alexa. And you have collectively referred to all of these things, and I'm sure you're working on 20 other things that you didn't mention also, as your, in quotes, dream house. You know, like these are the really neat, innovative things. One thing that I've heard as a common refrain from health system executives is, wow, I wish we could do all of this stuff. But, you know, the virtual desktops or the EHR upgrade that just came in or the cyber attack or, you know, there's this kind of long list of must-haves or maintenance type things that always seem to get in the way of being, you know, as innovative as we'd all like to be. How do you reconcile that? What's the underpinning that's necessary? The point that folks are making as far as ah, we can't get to these visionary projects because all of the, you know, we have to do all this nuts and bolts stuff. I'd offer that you do the visionary projects, but you recognize that you have to address the details in a relentless way. And by doing that, you're actually getting into the nuts and bolts projects that you have to get done. It's how you do these other basic projects that are going to make it really, truly innovative. A lot of the visionary projects that people are very excited about, they're extensions off of a very solid foundation. Again, it gets back to that virtual dream house. It'd fall apart if you didn't have a solid foundation. 
I'm putting pieces together based on what you're saying, Pam. A health system needs a capable EHR infrastructure. Attaining that infrastructure takes a relentless attention to the details. One of the first things I thought of when you were talking about relentless attention to detail is I did actually have a conversation with Liliana Petrova, who was the former director of customer experience for JetBlue. And she effectively said exactly the same thing, that unless you're really talking to customers and really understanding their point of view, what you tend to build works great for you. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, And I love Liliana's uh, point there. And that's basically what our uh, chief experience officer, Carrie Kaiser, has been impressing upon our entire leadership team is that we have to be listening to the patient families. And uh, we have a advisory board, and anytime we're working solutions, it's not about what we think, and even our clinicians think, it's about what the patient family reaction is, because in some cases, we guess it wrong. You've got to create something that they want. And if there's a visionary aspect to it, then you've got internal stakeholders, too. And maybe the internal stakeholders would be a lot more inclined to really, you know, work very hard on those must-haves or maintenance type things because they have a really visionary goal in mind, which is motivational in and of itself. So you've got a bunch of different stakeholders that if everyone is aligned and motivated, it works a whole lot better than if not. Stacy, you are summarizing it beautifully, and that's when it comes together right, is when the various stakeholders that are part of those workflows understand what's significant about the tools that they're using, and because of that, they're willing to take the time to help simplify them. Because I'll tell you, if it's complicated, they're the ones that are having to touch it every day. One of the analogies I use have used with my teams for over you know, a dozen years here is when you're working with IT systems, we deploy them much like a realtor might sell a house. <laughs> and then somebody else lives in the house every day. <laughs> and then we might know the market. And we might be able to say where the best schools are. And you know, here's how you, you might want to look at whether this is a, a value property. But from the standpoint of knowing what it's going to be like to cook that meal every night in that kitchen and whether it needs to be a chef's kitchen or not, we need to have people engaged enough to want to go through all the details. What's been fabulous with children's health is that relentless focus around detail. And I love the leadership our um, chief experience officer, Carrie Kaiser, is bringing to the table in that she really is helping that um, consumer-centric focus, because we've always been about quality and safety, and we've been about innovation, but consumer-centric, frankly, if you have all the great quality in the world, but you're not getting all the reach across the community, you're not making the amount of impact you can. So we want to be there. We want to be out in the community where we can be, where the kids live, learn, and play. So we're, we're very excited, and there's so much we can do. I, I think we're making strides, but I know we can do so much more. And we talked a bit about the telemedicine to the school and into the homes, but we also telemedicine into other community hospitals. And that, too, is a service in that allows patient families to stay in their community hospitals where their support network is, because many times that's where their neighbors are and their family um, and friends. 
And if they can stay in that community area and just tap on our specialist when they need to through telemedicine, that's such a great service rather than having to drive hundreds of miles away to get to our specialist. And then if they need to be in our hospital walls, that's a whole other story. But we're able to determine whether they need to be transported to us. Many times there's just those moments where if you just have enough intervention, they can stay in their community and it's a win for everybody. One of the biggest complaints that people with very acute diseases of many ilks have is just how arduous and disconnected their patient journey is. And unless they have somebody who almost, you know, full time is putting all the bits together and collecting all the tests and kind of navigating the care and being that some woman called herself, she's like, I feel like the mule of interoperability. (laughs) That's so sad, too. And the tough part is, is you're talking about uprooting people. People have their jobs and they they have their support systems in their community. And sometimes when they have to go to a facility that's, you know, hundreds of miles away, that means one of the family members has to pick up and move and live in a hotel someplace. And we try our best to be able to keep them in the communities where they have that support network. Well, let me ask you this, Pam. Everything that you're saying and that we're talking about, it definitely is in the category of easier said than done. You know, even as we talk about the relentless attention to detail, I mean, like it is hard to organize everyone around that goal, number one, but then get everybody focused on those details after we've mined them and then figure out what to do and to get the process implemented in order to reach the goal that we are looking for. Do you have a process by which you're steering the ship? How do you do this? Or what are some maybe some constructs that listeners might be able to take advantage of to at least get them started? Governance processes. And that's an important aspect of making a determination of where certain time, monies, energies are going to be invested. Certainly over time, our organization has refined our governance processes. So we say, here's strategically where we're going to focus. How those governance processes work depends largely on each organization, but there are best practices out there and they're well published. You know, you can go to a lot of different, like a Gartner and different organizations like that. They list out different processes, but from a governance standpoint, I would offer if there isn't one, you need one. (laughs) Um, that, That definitely helps. But also having an innovation lab of sorts, that's very important too, an ability to pilot different solutions. And when you're piloting them, being able to link those to the overall organization strategy, you do need to have an ability to experiment and learn from those experiments. That doesn't mean that every one of them is going to work fabulously, but what ends up happening is, is you learn from your failures too in the feedback mechanisms. If you listen well to your patient families, it's amazing how much they care and want to tell you. We've just found that our patient families have been so generous with their time as far as giving us feedback that's been so relevant and helpful. Does data have a place here? Oh, absolutely. As far as data, being able to have a couple things. One, Make sure you're speaking the same language. As far as the taxonomy of data and making sure your definitions are the same, incredibly important. We've worked our governance processes around data over the years, but I will find that if you don't work how you define your data well within your walls, 
people will argue more the definition of the data or even the source of the data more than they will what the data is telling them. So that that's important. But I, I'm going to take it beyond that. If you understand your data well, it's at a point now where it's not just about the data in your walls. It's about being able to have the data flow across the full continuum of care, which is not just in the walls of any organization. It's across anywhere a patient family may be seen. From that vantage point, we take that incredibly seriously at Children's Health here in Dallas. We've exchanged data with all 50 states and then some as far as, you know, beyond that, you can map with direct messaging and you're in a situation where you can drive down the cost of care, um, relieve manual intensity, um, make sure that people are getting the most informed care possible when you can have the data follow the patient families. And personally, that's incredibly important to me because I've seen different family members where their care outcome would have been different if their data had followed them and people had had a more comprehensive understanding of what was going on with them medically. So let me put it this way. I can't speak higher about it. I will say meaningful use has been incredibly helpful in having large institutions be at a point where they can share that data. But as far as bridging all areas, really, we need to get beyond just big healthcare systems being able to share data with each other and big EMRs. We need to be able to share data with the food banks and the YMCAs and et cetera. That whole aspect is incredibly important from a population health standpoint and the social determinants of health. So mapping the data, incredibly important. Have we made a lot of progress, say, in the last decade? Absolutely. But more to come and I think more benefit out of that as well. These are my takeaways, Pam. Number one, button up the governance process. Number two, get data house in order. And number three, make sure you've got an innovation lab. And one uh, last thing I'll also recommend, recognize some of the trends that are out there, too. One of the things that our chief experience officer cited recently in a Becker's interview was that there's a study by the International Data Association that predicts by the end of 2019, 65% of healthcare transactions will be mobile. You know, when you take a look at that, that really does tell you a whole lot about where your organization needs to be on convenience with patient families. So when you take a look at different trends like that, it's going to inform where you need to be from an innovation standpoint. Where can people find out more about children's and what you are working on, Pam? You can take a look at our website, children's.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at children's the one. And I also tweet, too, at PK Aurora. Pam Aurora, SVP, CIO at Children's Health in Dallas. Thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you, Stacy. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is 
automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.